Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. All right, everybody, we are nearing episode 100. This is episode 96 with uh, Dennis Mizigoy. Did I say that correctly? You got it, man. Oh, nice. Good, good. Um, I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite a while because I've noticed you're one of the people in the uh, liberty sphere that isn't very dogmatic. And even as you uh, self-proclaim, you don't really hero worship either. Um, and and I've, I've come to really respect that about you in particular, because a lot of people tend to worship people in the liberty movement. And I think it's, it, I get it. And, you know, it's good to have people that you admire, but also it's not good to completely blindly worship people. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I, I do agree that it's one of these things where um, I, I, I do admit that I probably make the one exception for Ron Paul a little bit, uh, but, mm. but that'd, be, that'd probably be the, the one and only that I kind of fanboy out for. But other than that, mm. yeah, I mean, I try, try to maintain an even keel and, and, you know, I think in a lot of ways, just my personality and who I am is a little bit different in that sense of a little bit less of this sort of reliance on the human character and stuff and more of a, and, and I think that exists to varying degrees with most people who end up becoming libertarians. 
because at some point you have to be motivated by the principles. You have to be guided by that. So um, I think that's a big thing for a lot of us. And I just happen to be wired a little bit more that way. So, uh, but thank you. Sure, of course. So uh, I guess uh, anyways, we, we should probably start off with uh, who are you and, uh, you know, what's your uh, kind of place in liberty movement? I've heard you kind of say it on a couple other podcasts, but I feel like uh, you've had a little bit more success than most. So, uh, yeah, what's your story? So my story, um, geez, I, I'm trying to think how far back I want to go and start, you know, uh, the youngest son of two immigrants, uh, you know, born and raised in Miami-Dade County, Florida. Um, you know, fast forward a bit to, to being an adult, uh, you know, had a few things in terms of sort of leaning towards the limited government or, or um, idea of it, you know, growing up the, the son, at least on one side of, uh, of Cuban immigrants who came over here after the revolution uh, with some sense of, of what that meant for everyone there. Mm -hmm. And you know, but it wasn't really until, uh, as I mentioned a little earlier, Ron Paul, when he ran, uh, I was a little too young for to pay attention to his run in 88. Mm -hmm. uh, I was like seven years old at the time. So, um, but when he ran in, in, in the 08 primary and actually leading up to that, because, you know, the primary season, not the primaries themselves, but all the campaigning and the debates and stuff, a lot of that starts the year prior. So I remember in 2007, you know, just hearing his name and start to look up and listen to stuff. Um, you know, listening to clips and everything else and, and just really getting my eyes open to all this stuff. Uh, that was the first politician I ever donated to. Um, uh, I was registered NPA at the time that, that here in Florida is no party affiliation. Mm -hmm. I, I ended up registering Republican to vote for him in the 2012 primary. Obviously that didn't turn out too well. So, um, so I was still voting. I, I'd already started voting libertarian in the general elections uh, as a consequence and but coming up until 2015 is when I, uh, you know, coming up to the next election cycle, I just kind of was like, I've been kind of, uh, you know, my, my enthusiasm died when those campaigns fizzled out. Yeah. But uh, but I, as, as coming up to the next election cycle, I said, you know, I got to do something, man, I got to get involved. So uh, I found the our county affiliate in Miami-Dade uh, down there in South Florida and just started first started with going and attending meetings at the time something we were doing. And um, something that uh, something that we were doing started doing there, and then kind of took statewide was something that got that uh, ultimately became called Operation First Step, which was just pursuing uh, you know lowest levels of government. Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple other uh, friends of mine in the party at the time uh, had the opportunity when they filed there, they got to go uh, unopposed. I got to um, I ran in the special taxing district that I lived in down there. And when it was the first time our seats were coming up on the ballot, but I ran against the guy who was occupying the seat as, a, as an appointee, uh, won 63% uh, of the vote in our tiny little district in the general election of November 2016. It was the fun part of that, uh, our election night party, as we were watching uh, results come in and uh, all sort of just, just baffled that Donald Trump actually won <laughs> that election too. But we had a little computer over on the side when we were refreshing the results from the county and we saw that I won. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I spent the next four years, a uh, little bit over, but the next four years serving on that seat uh, is a real um, interesting experience, something that, you know, again, I think is very relatable to those guys um, who I, I, I kind of talk about, Ron Paul, another one like uh, Justin Amash, who very many times was a, 
the sole loan uh, no vote. I spent the first two years on my on my board back there, um, losing pretty much every contentious vote, uh, one to four or one to three, depending on All if right. somebody showed up or not. <laughs> but uh, but that was any motion I made. Uh, for those familiar with these kind of terms, every motion I made died for the lack of a second. I had no support on the board. Um, they approved some spending projects. They refused to move the meetings to be accessible to the general public. I was leaving in the middle of my workday. Uh, I was the only person who worked like a regular job, uh, getting off to go and uh, just leave my work in the middle of the day to go. Thankfully, my employers were all very uh, chill about this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I went, uh, attended my meetings every month um, and you know, like I said, those first two years were pretty frustrating. I went through that kind of experience and something really interesting happened after the midterm elections or in the midterm elections, which was that we got a little turnover on the board. Uh, I was able to get enough people or get some people interested enough to step up and go after a couple of the seats on the board. So we got a little turnover and they weren't necessarily libertarians, but they were just people I could work with. And, you know, we, we've, we cut the spending, uh, a bunch of projects that were really unpopular that had been approved by the previous majority. Uh, we saved something like 78% of what had been put into that. Uh, so that was, that was good. We moved meetings to, instead of being like at 1130 in the morning uh, on a weekday, 20, 30 miles away from the district, it was, you know, within a couple miles of the district at 730 in the evening, people could actually come out. Not to say that, you know, you always had a huge attendance or anything, but we made it accessible for people. And I think that's an important thing. Um, you know, not everybody's going to read it, but at least if the information's out there, you 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 do your best that you can with it. And so uh, people appreciated that. I uh, had another opportunity down the line to kind of um, stop a bad idea project from going forward towards the end of my term there. <clears throat> but that was, uh, you know, that was something I got to do from 2016 up to 2021. and. Uh, now I've made the, uh, you know, call it whatever you want decision to uh, to file and try to run to uh, for our U.S. Senate seat coming up here in 2022, uh, occupied by the um, infamous Marco Rubio, uh, whatever you want to call him, yeah. um, that the character that he is. Uh, I think it's um, for a lot of reasons, I think it's important to do. And I wanted to step up and do it. If, if if nobody else was going to do it, I thought with, you know, at least having some experience in public office, I think I can uh, at least communicate the idea as well. There, there, I certainly lack some deficiencies, certainly in terms of organization and trying to get the campaign rolling. I'm, I'm yeah. getting some help and, and trying to work forward towards it. But, you know, uh, I look at the situation we're in, and particularly today, you know, we're $30 trillion in debt, inflation's 8.5% or I mean, I've heard it calculated a few different ways, but I think that that's that's one of the last numbers I heard pretty widely accepted. Um, it, it's crazy that we're seem to be closer to nuclear war with Russia than we ever were during the Cold War, or at least the Cold War when I remember. I remember it was still going on when I was a kid. Uh, I was, like I said, still a kid, but I remember I remember that being the time, and I remember when that ended. Mm -hmm. So it's. Uh, it's wild, um, the, the times that we live in, and particularly also for us here in Florida, we, we have pretty good, I shouldn't, I don't want to give the state too much credit for it. This is a result of work from libertarians of generations past who fought for it, who sued and won uh, to get us good ballot access uh, laws in the state.
mm-hmm. to where it's comparatively fair, except for the fact that it's really hard for us to get, we don't have the same resources and infrastructure that the other parties have. Right. So that's a more of a natural thing. But the, you know, comparatively speaking, I think we have compared to a lot of other states, especially very favorable ballot access. And we have also an opportunity where we're the, um, you know, I think still the biggest by far uh, swing state in the country. Um, and I think it'll be an extremely high profile race because you've got an ex uh, former presidential candidate in Rubio and along with uh, Val, likely the likely Democrat challenger is Val Demings, who was uh, one of the characters uh, mentioned in the Joe Biden veep stakes of 2020. So uh, I think it's an opportunity. And I think uh, for every one of us who, who has this perspective and who believes in these principles of individual liberty, it's important for us to have a voice and to be represented out there. And honestly, I say, you know, these principles and this perspective, they, they deserve not just a, a seat at the table or, or a voice in the conversation, but, you know, a seat in the U.S. Senate. So um, however, however difficult and however much of a long shot that is, I look at it from the standpoint of, look, um, we may try and we may fail. And that, that, that is typically what happens with uh, libertarian candidates and high profile races. But, um, you know, I know what's going to happen if we don't. So, and that is, uh, that is stuff that I just don't want to have continue to happen. So, um, we can't have it change and I can't complain and say, gosh, how bad the Republicans and Democrats are, and then not give people at least something else to try. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, there's a whole lot there. I can't believe you're 40 years old. (laughs) <laughs> you, you could have fooled the fuck out of me, dude. But yeah, you look good for your age. Um, Thank you, sir. Thank since you. clearly all the uh, political experience hasn't gotten you too, too bad. You ever see the before and after for Obama? It's pretty rough. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, man. But at least to be president, man. To be president, gosh, man, that that what that does to people, man. You yeah. know, you look, at, uh, you look at any of the guys who came in there, you know, relatively young. Him, Clinton, um, even W and, and all these guys. Yeah, no, you, that's, uh, that is something. And um, you know, I'm thankful. I, I don't think it comes through enough on the camera and I, and I did trim a little bit, but you know, when the, the, the beard, at least all the gray hairs kind of, uh, kind of pop a little bit when it gets a little longer. So, um, but yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, dude, of course. Um, so do you feel like your previous political experience is contributing to your Senate campaign? So like here in Pennsylvania, when you were talking about the first step kind of deal down there in uh, Florida, we kind of did the same thing. So it's called the Malt Maneuver here in Pennsylvania, where essentially you just mm-hmm. run um, libertarians either in um, unopposed seats or like more winnable seats and just try to take up as many seats as possible. And that's actually been incredibly successful. So we have... I think it's over 176 elected libertarians here in Pennsylvania. There's some that are mayors, um, some like not insignificant positions, but then there are obviously some insignificant positions as well. But the idea for me at least, and I'm guessing this is probably the same for you guys down there, is that um, you just kind of get started here and it's a good kind of like down payment on getting people elected in the future. So I guess uh, first let's – do you think your politi- previous political experience is kind of complementing your Senate run? Uh, you know, I, I think so. I think it at least helps with the conversation a little bit. I'm not just, you know, some random guy who just decide to file, you know, who just does this thing. I can at least say that I've got a little bit of experience. Obviously, it's modest compared to what the likely other people in that race are going to have. But I can sure. certainly say that, look, I went into uh, into a deliberative body, uh, you know, occupied a seat i faced opposition which and and this is another point i like to make when i when i sort of talk about this is the fact that 
realistically, even if every libertarian who ran for um, both the U.S. House or Senate, every, every libertarian running for federal office in 2022, if every single one of us won and we got to Washington, D.C., we still wouldn't be able to do anything. Mm-hmm. It would be very much like what I just described to you about my first two years on my on the board I sat on, because we would still be uh, vastly outnumbered. We're not contesting every seat, obviously. Uh, we don't have the resources for it. But uh, but even if that happened, uh, we'd be there. But it's the first step in not to be not to make a pun out of it. But it is, um, you know, change has to begin somewhere. Change doesn't happen overnight. That was my experience there. And it's something I understood that, you know, you have to sort of endure those hard times a little bit. Um, whoever the first guy is getting elected as a libertarian at that level is going to have you know, a terrible first stretch um, because you're, you're just not going to get much help. I mean, you can try to do something, but realistically, um, you know, if you're, if you're going to be bold and stick to your principles and you're going to be proposing legislation to end the Federal Reserve, to uh, abolish, you know, the ATF or the, the Department of Education or, uh, or Department of Homeland Security or whatnot, if, if you're going to be bold and try to do things like that, or even try just simply defunding these agencies or whatnot, there's not going to be a lot of support from the establishment there. And that's what you're going to be surrounded by. So um, in that respect, I think I'm well suited for that because I I kind of went through that experience, obviously at a very, very different level. But I think it's analogous. And the fact that I came through that experience and then was able to, uh, you know, sort of overcome some of that and uh, and make some positive change. Obviously, not everything perfect. I didn't get to... um, take all of the money that was on the, uh, without expl- without trying to explain community development districts too much, uh, all of the money that was tied to the bonds, I didn't get to just take the money that we had from the refinance and pay down the bonds and then cut the, uh, cut that, that uh, piece of everyone's property tax in the district. But, you know, the fact that we, we stopped some of the waste and we didn't build these things that nobody wanted and, um, you know, it, there, there were wins there. And I think that, uh, I think that helps. And I think just also having a sense of what it means to be, um, you know, an elected official representing people um, to sort of have that relationship again on a very different level. But I think it, it's still in many ways analogous. And yeah, no, I definitely think it's a, it's an asset. And, and again, something I can take with me, um, you know, to, to, to try to express the fact that I'm serious about this. And, you know, doing what I can and not just, again, uh, some random guy talking on the Internet or whatever, uh, asking people for their vote. I have done this in the past at a certain level. Uh, It's just obviously we're trying to level up quite a bit because, unfortunately, you cannot. And this is one of the things where I maybe disagree with some other libertarians where there's a little bit of the hyper focus on that. And look, I ran locally first before anything else. So it's not like I'm totally against that. I agree that you got to pursue things that are within reach. And there's certainly a benefit to doing it. But at the same time, what are the big things that really animate a lot of us? Uh, Certainly me going back to those uh, Ron Paul campaigns in 07, excuse me, in 08 and 2012, what were the two big things? Uh, The monetary monetary system, monetary policy with the Mm -hmm. Fed and the wars. And look at what's going on now. Look what's been going on since then. Um, So it's as it's as relevant as ever and we and unfortunately those are things that we cannot tackle at the local level so um you know i think there's a need and i think you know having the experience uh 
helps out with my story and I, I hope it helps out with the presentation and, uh, you know, again, uh, gives a little bit different flavor and again also signals to, to other libertarians that, you know, something a little bit different. And I think, you know, kind of taking a step back, I know that I don't think this was exactly a question, but, you know, I think sort of our thought process really in that time is part of it is you want to build up a pipeline. There's a couple of things in there, building a pipeline of candidates so that you actually have people who have a little bit of experience. I think also anybody else who works and kind of supports that, you know, gets a better understanding of what it is to be a part of a campaign. Um, although you don't have that if you're, if you're working in a, if you run unopposed, you don't really run a campaign though. So, um, but it's all part and parcel of it. And um, I think anybody who's, you know, adding something to their resume, it's something that's going to, you know, help out in the future if, if they want to continue on with it. So. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is that you also had mentioned that you were consistently kind of shot down for the first two years. So this shows that you have principle that you're willing to kind of take the metaphorical kick in the teeth and keep rolling. And there, some people will kind of go back and forth with me on this, but my problem with a lot of Republicans right now is that they sound good on a lot of stuff, but this is because the left is so bad that it's okay to kind of knee jerk and react over to the political right. And they sound good just because it's not their guy in there right now. So they're going to ring and wave their hands all sorts of ways. It sounds good and appeals to libertarians. But once again, is this a principled stance or is this because it's not their guy? Honestly, I don't believe it's a principled stance majority of the time. So someone yeah. like you, to circle back, um, you showed that you have a principled stance the same way Ron Paul did, the same way Justin Amash has. Um, these guys are incredibly principled and they always vote. Like you would know if you understand libertarian principles you know where their votes go and you're exactly. kind of in that same vein and i think that's very very important going forward because as we saw with trump a lot of republicans were perfectly fine with huge deficits and never-ending wars even though he campaigned on ending the wars um when you have principled people in there you know how they're going to vote but if you have people that just kind of go against you know or that toe the party line then how can you trust these people and this is kind of the reason why i'm not a uh, you know, paleo libertarian. As much as I have a lot of respect for those guys, I've had them on the show. I'd have them on again. If I saw them in person, I'd buy them a shot. I'd buy, you know, pretty much everybody I've on the show a shot. But regardless, <laughs> I, I can't lie to people, right? And I'm not yeah. going to be a partisan hack for the sake of political power. I'm going to be principled and I want to make sure that, you know, what needs to get done gets done. So I'm not just going to go along to get along. I won't toe the party line. So, you know, once again, long-winded way to say that you seem to have this, that same kind of outlook as well no yeah i i look i take and and obviously if we segue into sort of talking about some other stuff with florida that it, it really becomes pertinent you know i take it i'm happy if republicans happen to do something good even if they're not principled if they find some reason to do it i'm happy for it likewise with democrats and and, and i don't not that i think that there's necessarily an obligation to to be even-handed in this but, you know, there, there are things that Democrats have, have been better on. Historically, they're, they're in sort of a really weird space in terms of what they're emphasizing culturally these days um, and kind of what their message has become. Uh, so it's, it's going to be real interesting to see, you know, putting my own stuff aside uh, in terms of what I'm trying to do in my race, uh, even putting that aside, you know, it'd be real interesting to see kind of how this pans out in 2022. The, the elections last year, like um, the gubernatorial election in Virginia, for example, that was that was something interesting to see if you paid attention to that one in terms of just that whole narrative 
Um, and just that conversation, that soundbite, I can't remember exactly what it was that uh, um, with Terry McAuliffe, but basically, you know, that the parents shouldn't decide what kids are learning in school, which right, is just yeah. absolutely wild thing to say. Yeah. And a lot of people who would have reliably voted blue weren't, you know, hardcore, whatever, but, you know, were consistently voting for them. You know, that, that was a message that a lot of people picked up. And so it's interesting that they've kind of uh, gone that way. But like I say, on certain issues, um, they have in many cases done a little bit better. Republicans have done. I, I always like to say, um, not always, but I, I've said on occasion that, uh, you know, libertarians are what, in some sense, both Republicans and Democrats pretend to be, you know, in terms of being a uh, principled advocate for liberty. You know, we talk about people's right to choose, um, you know, their lifestyle when the left talks on some of these cultural issues, uh, when the right talks about, you know, your economic freedom and, uh, you know, and, and there's the, the um, I mean, those, that side of verbiage, you see a little bit less with Democrats. I mean, I guess with the abortion debate, they started bringing it up again to say my body, my choice. And Convenient. Some, of these, some of these related things, but that, that's one of those debates that I just find unpleasant to get into because it's dominated by the extremes and the rhetoric I find is so unrepresentative of what people are talking about. Because just even saying pro-choice and pro-life versus saying, look, I'm anti-abortion versus pro-legalized abortion or some more nuanced sort of thing. And unfortunately, it is slogans and, and catchphrases that um, wins votes, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast. It's the new um, shiny but, thing. But, you know, if, if they just lived up to it, man, it would make such a difference in some of these cases. And, and I, one of the ones I go back to recently is because is it was Trump. You know, Trump uh, was drained the swamp. My gosh, if he had actually done that, um, and instead of, you know, lifting, I'll give Obama credit for this, you know, they, they put a, a stop on federal funding for gain-of-function research. Uh, it came, instead of uh, lifting that ban and allowing us to fund this research in Wuhan, you know, Trump could have instead drained the swamp and gotten rid of Fauci in 2017. Uh, gosh, where would we be if, uh, if, that, um, if that had been the case? I don't know. But, you know, it's um, a lot of talk, a lot of slogans, and, you know, we've got to find kind of our nav navigate our way because we've still got to run our races in this environment. But, um, but you know, what's at the core and what motivates us is, is obviously a recognition of the real problems that we're facing and what I am convinced is the answer to it. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I started talking about this and I, I've been saying for a while, what i believe is that you know the real path to peace and prosperity is singularly the respect for individual liberty and that's talking about peace um not just among nations out in the world but also among us as individuals um by insisting that we're going to have government make decisions about this that or the other thing it creates fertile ground for these culture wars and everything else and um it's conflicts that just don't need to happen. And we can live at peace if we just are willing to respect each other's space. Um, but there's such an impetus to, to not do that. People are so convinced and so um, hell bent on trying to make sure that everybody lives and acts and is the way that they are. Um, but what I try to say is that, look, the best way for every one of us intrinsically knows that we want to be free. But what we need to understand or what everybody needs to understand more appropriately is that the best way for any one of us to be free is for every one of us to be free. And, um, and 
you know, that's, uh, that's harder to uh, distill down into a catchy slogan, but, uh, but it is something I try to try to convey whenever uh, somebody wants to take the time to listen to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I totally got you. Yeah. And the, the problem is right now is that there's so much government involvement in our life that everything's so ratcheted up to 10 that people feel like they have to, you know, I don't want to say vote harder, but they have to go harder in the culture war than the other side. So that way their mm-hmm. piece is said and, you know, you need a worse authoritarian than your enemy because you got to make sure that your side of the culture war is enforced. And, and I think yeah, libertarians, yeah, it's it's so awful because it should be the government so small that it doesn't matter who's president, right? I, I think yeah. it might have been Rand Paul who said that, but regardless, the point story is true because we wouldn't have to worry about who's going to be the next president. It really shouldn't be that significant, and it's so frustrating to think about it because this is like what a majority of our lives revolve around, especially after 2020. It's yeah. like this is all we can worry about because now. Um, especially when people are talking about inflation, it, it's really frustrating because nobody goes to the root cause. Um, I tweeted out today um, the, the NPC meme with a MAGA hat, and I put gas expensive, sleepy man bad, and that just kind of like sums up my thoughts. But it's like, okay, I, I I agree with you, but the problem is if you're just looking a at a more to it than that, right? If you just look at the singular moment then you're missing the whole thing. And once again, yes, you're right to a, a large degree, but you're not getting the root cause of the issue, which as you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier is monetary policy. And if you fix a monetary policy, you can essentially fix everything because essentially it's all a consequence of monetary policy. Yeah. You know, one of the other things I say in terms of just, if you wanted to really have a catch all to deal with so many of these things, um, one of them would also be government transparency. If we just knew, like, um, and in particular, when I talk about with the foreign policy, you know, if we knew all of the sneaky, dirty stuff, subversive, um, you know, if Americans understood everything their taxes were going to pay for, um, you know, w- with real clarity, I wonder, uh, you know, we were, I, I brought up yeah. Fauci a little bit ago, you know, that, I, I don't know if you read that story about like the Beagles getting their heads eaten off by, did, yeah. by, um, he has puppies, I think. Um, and I'm not like a huge animal guy or whatever, but I mean, I don't want to pay for that. And I don't know, I, I can't imagine, you know, um, I can't imagine there'd be a huge percentage of Americans who, who would be okay with, you know, their tax dollars paying for stuff like that. Yeah. Um, well, really- if, if you've ever read some of the Festivus reports, one of the most disturbing, I shouldn't even say necessarily disturbing, but one of the most like jarring things I read was that they paid, I want to say it was either $10 billion or $10 million for COVID test tubes that turned out to be empty pop bottles. I, I swear to God, that is literally what your tax money goes wreck, to. Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yes. Uh, so many programs are, you look a layer deeper and it's a subsidy for, for an industry or a company that's, that's connected with the right people. Um, there's so much of this sort of thing that goes on. And, um, and, and it, again, it's a consequence of the mentality of a government that uh, has to do all these things. One of the things I, I started to talk about, you know, sort of during COVID at least, is uh, a, a little bit of a distinction between uh, us and the other two parties, which is that I think, um, at least based on my observation about sort of their uh, bickering between each other during all this, is that, uh, you know, for them, 
they're both coming at this from the standpoint, they both come at just policy in general from the standpoint of um, government uh, and certainly our government as being this omnipotent force. It's like it's the mandate of heaven. They've got the authority to do whatever they want. Uh, and the only debate between them is really about what should they do. Um, and for us, it's obviously very different it is that government doesn't have the power, legitimate power to do any of these things. When we talk about, for example, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, and, and I think it's a very American core value. The idea that the power of government comes from the authority of government comes from, again, not from the mandate of heaven or something like that, uh, or some manifest destiny, but instead it comes from the people that comes from the governed. Right. Uh, but what can I get? What power can I give government that I don't have? I don't have the power uh, or authority to say what plant you can grow in your house or what you can put in your body or what, uh, what items or machines you can own or, or any of these sort of things. So if I don't have that power uh, or to force you to take an injection or wear a mask or any of these sort yeah. of things, if I can't, if I don't have the power and authority to do those things, how can I vest it in government? Um, so it's not there. Uh, but, uh, and I think another sort of way that I hear it expressed um, so much in the mainstream political discourse when they talk about uh, and they say things like um, allowing people to do certain things as if it's a situation where we need the permission of government or that government <laughs> even is capable of really preventing these things. Um, you know, when I hear people in particular with the conflict in uh, in Ukraine, you know, they talk about, are we gonna allow Russia to do this? What, what do you mean allow? It's not like we've got a switch or something and pull the plug on them and, hey, sorry, your invasion's done. Uh, I mean, there's things we can do, but the, the things that we can do uh, up to a certain point have real consequences. You know, putting sanctions on Russia has consequences where certain things cost more now. Um, and then you want to call it the Putin price hike, but, um, you know, but again, also the, the, obviously the prices and the inflation and everything is stuff that has been a long time brewing. It didn't happen overnight. Um, it's certainly, we went into overdrive over the last two years with the COVID spending. There's a great clip. I always like to, uh, throw out there. Um, every time I see it, at least on Twitter, I can always go find it, which is, I think from a 60 minutes, uh, report they're interviewing Jerome Powell. It's like, so you flooded the system with money. It's like, Yeah. Yeah, that's what we did. It's like, where does it come from? He's like, well, we just, do you just print it? And he's like, well, we print it digitally. Um, and he, and he basically, I mean, he's just straightforward about it because, mm -hmm. and this is one of the things where a lot of people, I hear a lot of uh, libertarians and libertarian adjacent people who are just sort of, uh, I don't know if agorist is the right term, but all the sort of people who are um, just don't care about engaging in the political system, they think oh, why bother with it? It's all rigged. It's this and that and the other thing. I, I, call me crazy. I don't think it's actually rigged all that much because they don't have to, because they do this stuff out in the open yeah. and people still vote for them. And if people are still going to vote for them, what do you need, why do you need to put in the effort to fix it? If people are still going to vote for you, even if you do this, who's going to put in that kind of effort? I do think there's you know anomalies and there's stuff that they do and they kind of fight between each other. But at the end of the day, um, you know, all that really is needed for us to kind of break through is to just win over. Um, somebody asked me about this last week and kind of, um, I kind of had to go through my thoughts for it, but it, it really is, 
um, there needs to just be enough eyes opened and there needs to be enough resolve among the people to just say that we're not going to tolerate any more of this. We're not just going to keep on, keep on accepting that these are going to be the people in power who are going to keep doing this, that, and the other thing that is just totally wrong. Um, you know, just dragging us down to hell, basically. And uh, it, it, that's the only way, you know, we, we've got to get to the point where enough people are just willing or not willing to accept it anymore um, because that's the status quo. That's what our, our default has been. And it takes more to break out of that. Yeah. Well, and to touch back to anarchists and agorists who think all political action is, you know, irrelevant and it's rigged. It's like, okay, well, what do you propose? What is your scalable solution other than just you dropping out and, you know, trading mushrooms on the black market? Like, okay, you could do that. I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I'm, I mean, dude, I'm a musician, I'm a mechanic, I'm a podcaster. I do plenty of different things <laughs> that don't involve politics, but like, okay, if we want to actually spread this and make the world a better place, right? Because that's what I try to do through this podcast, when I play music and just about every endeavor I do, when I fix cars for a living, I'm trying to make people's lives better, right? Um, if you're just an agorist and you're going to just tweet on Twitter all day and get into quote tweet arguments all day, okay, well, that, that's, that's fine. But once again, what is the net positive for the movement? That's what I want to know. So what is, once again, what's the scalable solution if you're not going to engage in anything political? Because I can tell you right now, if uh, Twitter arguments were going to set us free, then by God, we should be in Ancapistan like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, man. I, um, you know, like I say, that that's, that's part of what just sort of motivated me to kind of get more in the first place. And I think a little bit with this as well, um, you know, it's just, what are we going to do? We're going to sit on the sidelines and, and just allow it to happen. And, and, you know, to your point about, you know, the stuff that you are, look, man, it, for me, it's, it's not like I, and, and I remember all of us talking about it a few years back when I did a, did try to do like a little town hall with some of us who are elected officials in Miami, um, you know, talk about, uh, you know, what kind of motivates all of us. And for most of us, we'd all be happy to go back home and just kind of stick to our things, you know, do my regular day job and, you know, my family, church and stuff like that. Um, and, and not worry about doing politics or running for, for any of this stuff. But man, you know, I really don't want those people who are in power to stay in power. I really don't want them to. And, and how's that ever going to change? Um, it's not going to just, they're not just going to, magically by us like you say um talking about it on social media they're not just going to spontaneously <laughs> wake up and and turn over a new leaf no these these are the people look power attracts the people who desperately want it and want to abuse it and those kind of people this is their lives and they're willing to do everything for it and that's not us so that that's another thing that kind of puts us at a disadvantage but it's exactly for that reason that it's so important for us to tr at least try at least create the opportunity so that if and when the people are ready to kind of move on that they can you know because if again like i said if i if i go and complain about republicans and democrats being so awful and so corrupt and so evil and and i shouldn't shy away from evil um on the whole you know why 
well, well then what are the people supposed to vote for if I don't give them an alternative if if we don't give them an alternative so um you know that's the idea it's it's as simple as that and it can't change you know it's not going to change with those folks in power put it that way yeah and I mean we've we've kind of seen it because you know Trump was supposed to be the outsider and <laughs> nothing you know what the heck happened over the last five years we ended up locked in our homes and the frustrating part about this is that when you try to explain some of these subjects to some people, it's always history started yesterday, right? The whole, especially you see this with the war in Ukraine, just, oh, all of a sudden, oh, this wouldn't have happened under Trump or, you know, oh my God, Russia is so terrible. Look at what they did. It's like, okay, well, you dummy, if you sit down and read a book or read, you know, an article that isn't mainstream news every once in a while, then maybe you'll understand. And this is where I think libertarians kind of shine the most is that we understand the root of the problem, whereas just our current two parties are going to point at one another and say that, you know, this is their fault. You know, that once again, this wouldn't have happened under Trump or, you know, with Biden in there, this shouldn't be this way, or he's going to fix this. Well, okay. Well, once again, what's the root of the problem here? We're talking about a baby formula shortage right now. Like, dude, this, what the hell's going on? And then if you pull the thread on that, once again, government intervention in a couple markets, you have three people that make baby formula, and now we have a shortage. So, you know, what the hell are we doing? Well, you know, uh, another good one, you know, when you want to have, you know, get at that sort of conversation, the student loan debt, the student debt crisis issue, um, you know, this these loans did not just magically materialize in a free market, okay? <laughs> yeah. Who, who's giving tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans to 18 year olds who don't even know what they're going to uh, major in to go to college and then come out and and in what kind of time frame are they going to pay that back with what kind of reliability you know the whole the whole thing is skewed and i i can understand why the folks who are affected by it say well hey we want to you know, we want to have the debt canceled and, you know, that, that's natural. Everybody wants, every one of us wants to have, you know, some of our problems solved. And if you want a free ride, us, yeah. Sure. Um, and at the same time, even some people who aren't in that boat look at it and they, they try to rationalize and say, well, look, if these people are freed from this debt, then they can engage in other productive activity. They can do other things like, you know, purchase homes and, and, and this can, you know, th th there, there can be some, and that's a, you know, that's at least an argument. I'm not going to, uh, get into the nitty gritty of it. But the real thing about it is no matter what, you're not dealing with the root cause. So at best, what you're going to end up doing is kick the can down the road. Okay. Now you spent a whole bunch of money and you took care of all these people. And now in 20 years, you're going to be in the same place because you're going to have a whole next bunch of people because you didn't address the root cause. Um, you left the system in place that created all these problems. Uh, and like you say, more often than not, that system is actually uh, the, those root causes a lot of times are other government policies that were put in there to achieve some other goal um, for, for some other agenda. And, you know, that's also part of the problem is that if they look at the causes, you know, what you're really talking about stripping away is some of the things that they're doing. And that's obviously not something they're interested in. They, they're not looking at scaling back. They, they only want to look at opportunities to grow. The, the, 
the mentality. And one of the things I, I like to say, and, and is always at the forefront of my mind about this sort of thing is um, that mentality of we've got to do something. I think that's the worst, absolute worst thing in government, but it's so prevalent and it's not even, uh, and, and it's what they want to be seen doing something. The last thing they want to do is say, oh, look, here's a problem. What's our solution is to do nothing. Um, but the truth is, is that, you know, a lot of times that's going to be the, um, you know, a lot of times the only things that they do, what they do, uh, anything that they do really ends up either making the problem worse or just creating other problems without actually solving this other problem. So in a lot of cases, it, it, it might be the right thing uh, or even just stop doing those other things, like we say, that initiated the problem. But, you know, that doesn't, um, that's, that's not in their interest. Um, and, and that's the thing, you know, going back to, um, not to say it wasn't something I, I was really not at all cognizant of, you know, pre previous to that, but it, I do like hearing the story. Uh, if you've ever heard Thomas Sowell talking about, um, you know, how, how he sort of abandoned Marxism, uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, which was after working in, I think the, uh, Department of Labor, uh, for the federal government as yep. an intern during an internship. And, he said he, what, he, what he came to understand, and I, unfortunately, I don't think he applies this to every part of the federal government, but that it's full of people with agendas, you know, and it's not this, um, I think what a lot of us, you know, are taught to envision that these are just these noble public servants who are, you know, have the, the public's best interests at mind, the nation's best interests at mind. Um, they're all people with agendas who, who have biases and, um, you know, their own motives. And, you know, that, that's, that's always going to be the limitation. You know, yeah, what yeah. we talk about as free market capitalism, um, people still have their own agendas, but it's all very transparent. We all know everyone's pursuing their self-interest um, and what it allows it to do is to, to harness that energy into productive ways. Because as long as you have respect for individual rights, you don't have violence, you don't have uh, people's property being destroyed or violated in other ways. What ends up being is that the way to become wealthy is by giving people stuff they want. And that makes the world better and finding more and finding ways to do it more efficiently. Um, yeah. Improves the quality of life uh, and has um, for quite some time better than any other system. Yeah. And do I kind of touch on one of the other great economists from back in the day on top of Thomas Sowell is uh, Dr. Walter Williams, who always says that greed is the greatest driver of human prosperity, because it is absolutely true. How do you, you know, how, how do you generally raise people's living standards? Well, somebody has an interest in something that you have and you can, or a service that you have, and, you know, you both voluntarily exchange to raise each other's living standards, right? You know, there's a, the best barbecue restaurant in the world. And I know you and I went back and forth about this a little <laughs> bit on Twitter, but uh, Big Rig's about a half hour up the road here, right? And uh, their brisket is to die for. And, uh, you know, it, it's like probably 20 bucks for a pound, right? And I'm totally willing to throw them the $20 to get that pound or half pound of brisket, right? That's a voluntary exchange where now they're better off because they got my $20 and I got my brisket. I'm the happiest yeah. to be. And to, to throw a bone to Florida, every barbecue place I've been down there has been fantastic as well. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's it called? It, um, you know, it reminds me of somebody saying, you know, in any voluntary exchange, everybody wins because mm -hmm. obviously 
that you know you value the brisket more than the twenty dollars, and they value the twenty dollars more than the brisket, and so you guys exchange. If you didn't, you wouldn't have done the exchange. Exactly. Um, because each side was worth more. They can make more brisket, and obviously you can earn another twenty bucks to buy more later or buy whatever else you need. So um, no, it, it is that's how that system functions. And, you know, certainly talking about food. I mean, look, I mean, I, 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 um, you know, have all the places I love growing up in Miami. I, I, I feel especially having been very spoiled, um, you know, and I, and I think part of that is obviously the, the, all, all the different influences of, of uh, Latin America. And I always like going back when I get a chance to, uh, uh, I don't know what places you went to. I, I guess you're talking about a lot of barbecue and stuff like that. But uh, if you're ever back down there, uh, check out an Argentinian restaurant, Gracianos. Um, you know, just because get the mixed grill with all the different kinds of meats and stuff. Oh, and okay. It's just, you know, um, you know, just stuff that you don't get in enough places. And so, um, and some of the things that are a little bit different than, uh, than what you might see in uh, some other things where you have like the black sausage and the chinchulines and whatever. And so, uh, fun stuff, man. But. Oh my God. Listen, so I'm getting married down in Florida. We're uh Bradenton <laughs> beach. Right. And uh, I've been to a, a pretty decent bit of the state. Um, we've been down to Orlando, I think three times and there's a place. Oh my God. It's right on the tip of my tongue. It's a, uh, it's a tourist area. Um, oh my cafe Monero. That's it. Cafe Monero in Orlando. That place <laughs> is fantastic. But, you know, same deal. They have all the different cuts. They have the grilled pineapple and everything. But, yeah, dude, Florida, um, Florida's incredible. I, I like if I, I almost wish I would have took the job back in uh, 2016. <laughs> I graduated college and I interviewed actually down in Vero Beach, which I think is about an hour and a half from Miami. Um, Give or take. Uh, that's that's right there in between. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I interviewed down there and I'm like, man. It's, it's beautiful down here. I remember uh, the, when um, me and the service manager, the foreman, went out for an interview and they bought me lunch. And there's literally like restaurants you can just like pull a boat up into for drive through. <laughs> and I, I don't know, dude, every single time I'm down there, it's just like happiness, right? I had a, a friend that I used to work with in um, the one Chevy dealership about, holy shit, I can't believe, 10 years ago now. Um, he's like, yeah, I had a, another friend that moved up here from uh, Florida. And he said, everybody up here in Pennsylvania looks tired. He said, you go down <laughs> to Florida and everybody's like happy. And, yeah, I, I could, I could definitely relate to that. <laughs> and we're, we're, we are fortunate in more ways than one. So, um, you know, so, uh, it, it's definitely a place. And, and if you, you've been around the state, then you kind of get some of the different flavors because in the different areas, you know, it, the, the culture varies, you know, and what you have in sort of the urban centers versus um, when you kind of stretch out more onto the edges of that. So, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Um, so, like I say, I, I, I've, I've always been very happy and, and feel blessed to, to be here. So, um, you know, and so uh, one of those one of those taglines, it wasn't mine originally. And so I just kind of threw it in some of the times. But, you know, I just like to say that Florida deserves better. So it's uh, certainly better than what we got uh, in terms of representation. So. Nice. Yeah. So um, I guess we could probably start kind of wrapping up here, but uh, real quick before we uh, kind of go to plugs and everything else, I'm curious about your thoughts of the current Republican Party down in Florida, because that's definitely something to, to be contented with. And I'm sure you and I both do not agree with DeSantis on quite a few things. 
but mm -hmm. he's very, very effective in what he does because he does kind of put the left on their heels as compared to where normally it's Republicans kind of chasing the ball. Um, now, obviously, what he's doing to do that, some of the stuff is like, okay, well, you're kind of overstepping there, but yeah. um, I, I, it makes me a little nervous because I know he wants, he has presidential aspirations, but uh, Reed Coverdale kind of said it best that he's essentially going to be Barack Obama, except for a Republican. That's what it's going to be because he's very well-spoken. He's a populist. He loves his people. So I know that appeals to a lot of people in Florida, but I don't think they understand what the the consequences of that. Once again, it's very easy mm -hmm. to look at this very, what, you know, this very small moment where he did good and then think that he'd be good everywhere else. But, you know, you should, it doesn't take a lot of digging beneath the surface yeah. to see his congressional record and realize like, holy crap, you guys have no idea. Yeah. You know, uh, as just as a politician, not as a, not as a governor or whatever. I mean, as a politician, he's formidable. I think he, and it's, it's wild to me because I didn't, I wasn't familiar with his congressional record when he ran for governor. And when he was running for governor in 2018, I thought it was, I thought it was like a terrible joke in the sense that like his, his campaign and his, his presentation was basically I'm baby Trump. And that's at least the way I'd characterize it. Cause he's got like, he had these commercials where he's like with his kids and they're like playing with like the 12 blocks. It's like build the wall. And, and I mean, I, I don't know, we don't have a border with Mexico over here. And it just, it's really weird. Um, it just, it, I just thought, what, what is this guy doing? And But he won the nomination. Uh, you know, he picked up and then he came in after Rick Scott. He didn't beat Gillum by very much. But um, <clears throat> but I will say this, you know, from the time he came in, he did impress me uh, or at least ex start exceeding my expectations very early. One of the first things he did was uh, going after this guy who was the sheriff in Broward County, Scott Israel, who was had been the sheriff there for a very long time. But as kind of the, you know, accountability for what happened with the uh, the Stoneman Douglas, the Parkland shooting. Um, because if you really pay attention to that, and, and this is one of those things, and not to go off on the tangent about, you know, sure. uh, Second Amendment and gun rights and stuff, but, you know, when people look at cases like that, that, that in particular was a case where, you know, law enforcement failed at so many different levels, and yet somebody wants to still turn around and hold people accountable who had absolutely nothing to do with that case. Um, whereas the the law enforcement had failed at so many levels, and obviously there's the shooter himself, but um, but going back to that, you know, DeSantis has has gotten some things right. Um, obviously, that I just gave one example in terms of because I'm not even across party lines. I, I typically don't expect to see these guys hold these people on the other side accountable. Um, the um, for example, you know. Well, lock her up, you know, lock her up. When, when, what happened with that? Um, so I'm not used to seeing these guys actually go after the people on the other side. Uh, anybody in government, really, or who's, you know, one of anybody who's part of the good old boy club uh, in that sense. Um, he's been good on some other things, like uh, I think like school choice and whatnot. They, the, the Republican Party here has been generally pretty good on and, and to, to the benefit of Floridians. Um, and obviously the big one is COVID. <clears throat> Even if it's not a perfectly libertarian stance, um, like when he does stuff like say that a private company can't have a have a mandate and stuff, okay, that that's overstepping from a libertarian purist standpoint. But look, if you're going to get it wrong, and these guys are pretty much always going to get it wrong, if you're going to get it wrong, I at least I can <laughs> I'm I prefer that you get it wrong by airing. I don't not air like air like err on the side of um, on the side of the individual. 
on the side of the individual choosing. So I'm okay with that one. Um, I, I don't think that those things and some of the other ones are motivated by, like I say, a principled commitment to liberty or anything like that. I think it was what was expedient. He picked a side, they picked a side, and, and they happened to get on the right side of it. Um, but uh, but he's, he's certainly formidable, and you, you see how some of these people come after him on the um, in some of these press conferences, and and he is a uh, he is adept. He's he's um, you know he's sharp, and he he's got it together. So he, he's formidable in a lot of sense. Um, you know, there's a but to a point where I say also something I, I mentioned earlier when we were talking about some of these the. I'm trying to think if it was as much with the political and some with the culture and everything, but it gets to a point of being self-destructive. Like the whole thing with Disney. Okay, Disney, fine, they were stupid and they, you know, decided to kick up some fuss about, um, you know, the bill that they passed over here um, regarding education and, you know, what stuff that they could stick into the curriculum and, and so forth um, by really kind of and there's obviously a lot of popular misrepresentation of it, but whatever. Um, but then his response to that is, okay, so we're going to try to get rid of the, the Reedy Creek Improvement District. And, you know, I mean, who does it help? I mean, yeah. okay, I get that you're, you know, it, it's just trying to stick it to them. You know, but it's like when we put, we're putting tariffs on China. Okay, great. Now we get to pay more for Chinese goods. Uh, and the government gets more money. Um, you know, who are we helping in all this? Uh, and and that's a real good question. I mean, maybe he maybe he gets some brownie, maybe he gets himself some political points out of it, um, but it's not really going to enrich the state. And um, you know, obviously, and that's a big part of the economy. And if you you've ever been there, I think also, you know, on a, again on another sort of different tangent where you know that's actually like a really good example where even if it's a mega corporation, look, you can have somebody other than government making roads and infrastructure and all the stuff. And actually have it not be a disaster, but actually, hey, here's a, a great model of something clean and like, and everybody likes to go there. And uh, it's very pleasant and uh, and very, very little government involvement and in all that. So, um, which is something, at least for libertarians, uh, you know, we would like to say, hey, that's a good model, even if, if some of their own politics are not good, <laughs> to be to be kind. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. But uh, like I say... Um, DeSantis is, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And I agree with you, you know, um, you know, it's very easy to look at this sort of narrow uh, subset of things that he's done and what his record is and say, wow, you know, and, and obviously you can see him sort of um, setting himself up for the future if he wanted to run for president to, to be very formidable there. But, you know, when you look at some of the other things, um, some of the other stuff he has supported in the past or even just things that he said, um, you know, we, we at least would recognize that. Yeah, we, we probably wouldn't want him president. I, I don't mind if he stays governor, um, but, yeah. but I probably wouldn't want him to be president. Um, because some of those, some of those, uh, policy areas, you know, some of them don't matter quite so much when you're governor, they matter a lot mm -hmm. when you're president. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's completely <clears throat> true. And I think a lot of people are kind of missing that side of it. Um, Dude, we've been shooting the shit for an hour. You are, uh, you're a machine, dude. This was awesome. I'd love to have you back on sometime. So I got a couple questions I ask every single guest. Um, and I think I got one more for you. Um, <laughs> first thing, how's the weather down there right now? It's good, man. It's good. Um, you know, it's it's been getting a little hotter the last few days. Um, so, you know, it's, it's what happens. Uh, you know, you get some of this, uh, you know, above in the 90s. But 
uh, it's still managed. I'm, I'm in central Florida now, so mm -hmm. it's uh, so it, it cools still a little bit at night. But, you know, I mean, I say that compared to growing up and living almost my entire life in Miami, where in the nighttime, you know, you'd go out and it'd still be like this humid sauna uh, kind of thing. So, um, but it's good, man. I mean, I, I, I've been spending time at least out in the in the evenings for most of the last bunch of weeks up until uh, what last week was the end of my uh, my son's little league season. So uh, this is his first year playing, so it was uh, a lot of fun. We're up here. Uh, my nephew is also on the team, and my brother in law is coaching. So uh, it's really cool. Um, they got to the finals uh, in their little league, so it was it was pretty cool. And you know, weather was always nice, so uh, I can't complain. Uh, uh, Florida weather is always one of the nicest things here, man. Yeah, I probably need to rain a little more for the grass, but uh, but you know, usually rain's not a problem around here, so yeah, yeah, the torrential downpour for like 10 minutes and then it stops. Yeah, it is. Uh, I was checking my watch 48 degrees up here in Pennsylvania, oh. so yeah, it was it was pretty nice going most of the day, but like, like we, we had like the sun out, don't worry, it was snowing in like late April. I'm like, wow, this is this is horrid. I so, I hate it. A fun story. I, I lived in D.C. for a few years right after getting married. Uh, not D.C. proper. I lived in just outside of D.C. in Maryland. Um, my parents came up one year for uh, around spring break. We were around there. Um, uh, we came up for they came up for spring break, like right at the beginning of April. We were going to go up to Niagara Falls um, in Maryland. When we got out of our apartment, the day we were going to start driving up it's snowing. Um, <laughs> so I was just like, all right, it's only going to get colder from here, man. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and this is again, for all of us who are from Florida or live most of our lives in Florida. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's always that sort of funny perspective. Like I say, we're, we're very fortunate down here. Um, so yeah, dude, I, I, I couldn't imagine living there my entire life. I would be, I think I'd be so much of a happier person. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm not a happy person I am a pretty happy person um, <laughs> Dennis what does liberty look like to you um you know it, it's simple it's live and let live you know you you have to respect other people's rights you know I it's funny when I hear and I, I've seen um you know when people talk about uh, it, it's very popular nowadays we talk about secession and things like this and certainly among certain political areas, but I mean, even somewhat in the mainstream. Um, but look, you don't have to, you, you can't reasonably, I don't think we can in a modern world expect that we're going to be surrounded by everybody who thinks like us and is like us and um, wants to be like us and, and just has all the same thing as us. Um, and what kind of a world would it be? At least what I'm used to, um, you know, people are going to be different and you, you just learn to respect that. And most of us can do it on an individual level. It's just um, pulling back from this sort of thing. I think any one of us, if we if we recognize sort of the the common humanity, you know, every one of us, and I can take the religious perspective of being, uh, you know, brothers and sisters, children of the same God, and everything. But if we have a sort of positivity about uh, one another, respect for one another's rights, you know, we just stop trying to control and and the things that we focus on at least where we see as problems is where people actually are violating one another's rights that's uh that's where we draw the line <laughs> and you know i believe that those things are are still possible I'm, I'm a hopeful person to think that uh you know i um 
I like the uh, the story in the Bible with with Jonah, not the whole thing with the fish, but after that, you know, because he goes and preaches to Nineveh and, um, you know, about how they're going to be destroyed and everything. And the people actually repent. The people actually get it together and they 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 do the right thing and they don't get destroyed. And, you know, for as much as it seems very fatalistic for us, like we're just, you know, going in the total wrong direction, I, I try to remain hopeful that, um, you know, we can get it together and um, begin to fully, you know, respect one another and uh, because it'll be a better way to live. I mean, we don't need to be fighting with one another and so they don't need to be fighting with us. And uh, I think that's a much better way to live. Awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, what does health look like to you? Health? Um, you know, uh, movement, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term. I mean, again, obviously you need to eat something um, to, to sustain yourself, you know. By the sweat of thy brow, thou shalt eat the bread all the days of thy life, I guess. But, um, you know, you should eat more than bread, um, you know. Uh, my blood work always comes back good. So however, uh, someone may look at me when I don't eat a lot of vegetables. Uh, I think that's fine. But, um, you know, I think the biggest thing, you know, people are going to eat what they're going to eat. They got to put something into their body, but, uh, you know, movement, uh, you've got to find stuff to do. Um, you can't sit still. So, and, uh, and that can take a lot of different forms, but, uh, you know, you find something. So, yeah, I got you, man. Yeah, no problem. Uh, where can everybody find you? Uh, I've got the, I got the URL if it's shown over here in the corner. Mm -hmm. uh, it's And this is easy when you have a really strange last name. You can just get that as your domain name. Uh, so it's misigoy.com, M-I-S-I-G-O-Y.com. Uh, all kind of stuff on there. My most recent live stream uh, is on the homepage. We got a couple events coming up. Actually, here's, I'll plug this one. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Saturday evening uh, doing a live stream. It's a little paid thing. Um, so we're trying to raise a little money ahead of uh, the con national convention in Reno. Um, maybe sort of the money bomb type of thing, hopefully. But um, really uh, a little live stream we're doing. I'm going to have uh, Clint Russell of Liberty uh, Lockdown Pod uh, is going to be on. Uh, Spike Cohen is going to be on for part of it. So uh, you know, hopefully they can uh, help me draw in a little bit more and uh, raise that profile a little bit because I think this, like I said, it's an important race and um, get the word out there and get a little more support. And so that's coming up uh, May tw uh, May 21st. And yeah, so. Nice, dude. But yeah, well, check out the website. Also on all the social media, I've got the links on the website, but if you, uh, if anyone wants me to just rattle it off right quick on Twitter, it's at Dennis Misigoy. Um, all together on Facebook and Instagram, it is at elect Missigoy. So there you go. Cool, dude. Well, uh, both those uh, two gentlemen you mentioned have been guests on the show uh, multiple times, except for Spike. I would like to get Spike on again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those are great guys. And uh, dude, I think you're uh, right up there with them. This is a really, really cool show. We'll have to do it again sometime. And uh, yeah, dude, if you don't got anything else, we'll, uh, we'll close her out. All right, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, Thank you, man. Definitely. Let's uh, let's make sure we do it again. For sure. Save big money now on new siding from LP SmartSide at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. 
It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty. That means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save 